0: W. Affiant further states that Affiant was informed by Detective Corey Williams of the Livonia Police Department that he received a tip from a relative of Timothy King that a polygraph examiner named Patrick Coffey had information pertinent to the investigation. Coffey told Williams that during a convention of polygraph examiners in Las Vegas, he met a person from Michigan named Larry Wasser. Wasser told Coffey that he had polygraphed a subject who had admitted he killed one of the children. One, on November 20th, 1978, Officer McNamee was dispatched to X Street to check on the welfare of Christopher Bush. McNamee was informed by Christine Bracken that she was the Bush's maid, and she hadn't been able to get in the house that morning. The newspapers from three days earlier were still outside the door, and she suspected that something was wrong. She went to a neighbor's house, and the neighbor called Christopher Bush's brother, Charles Bush. Charles had then called Bloomfield Township PD. Charles told Officer McNammy that Christopher Bush was living in the home with their parents, who were at that time in England. The officers made entry into the home. Christopher Bush was found deceased, lying on a bed in a bedroom. He had a bullet wound in the forehead, and a rifle was lying on the bed next to his body. The report was titled Suicide. You're listening to You Know They Know, from the files of the Oakland County Child Killer Investigation with J. Ruben Appleman, author of The Kill Jar, a chronicle of 10 years investigating Detroit's most notorious serial killer case published by Simon & Schuster. The Kill Jar was the springboard for the Investigation Discovery TV show Children of the Snow, now on Hulu. You know they know, is brought to you from the Caribbean Studios in Boise, Idaho, with music from Patrick Benolkin. I'm Jay Ruben Appleman. From the time I began researching the Oakland County child killings outside of Detroit, Michigan, to the time my book was finished, 10 years had passed. Those 10 years were a personal mess, and I chronicled that mess in the pages of the Kill Jar. Most readers understand why I did so to tell the bigger story of how this case affected the millions of people, including myself, living with its grim inheritance. Some readers wanted only more and more of the dirty details of the case of the Oakland County child killings. Challenge accepted. This podcast was partially born in response to readers of the Killjar and viewers of Children of the Snow asking for more. And it was also greatly born from the compelling evidence that indicates this case should have been solved years ago, leading me and others to wonder was it? Each episode begins with a reading from the actual case files in my possession, the decades of investigative narratives and interrogation transcripts, the evidence trails and autopsy reports and polygraph results, and all matter of supplementary documentation reporting from the hundreds of city, county, state, and FBI investigators who have touched this allegedly unsolved case. Today, you've heard uh, a little part three uh, of a reading from the affidavit for a search warrant, which we are going to circle back to in... Uh, the next two episodes as well. On the show with me today is is Kathy Broad, formerly Kathy King, sister of victim number four to the Oakland County Child Killer. Uh, Today I'll be talking about the child killings in general, and I'll be digging into the case of the abduction and murder of victim number three, Christine Mihalik. As a reminder for those just tuning in with this episode, from 1976 to 77, four children outside of Detroit were abducted, held in captivity, and eventually murdered. The, uh, uh, the killings stopped uh, after 13 months. Uh, there were no more killings, but a prime suspect had also allegedly committed suicide. We're going to talk about him a little today. Uh, but mostly we'll focus on Christine Mihalik, victim number three. After the killings stopped and the prime suspect was dead... We should have had a lot of information about this in the press. Uh, we, though, as the citizenry of that, that uh, place and era, knew nothing about a prime suspect or that the prime suspe- suspect had been dead. We only knew that the killings had stopped and we were not uh, informed by the police departments of the area or the newspapers of the area that there was any information leading us to believe that they would not continue. Um, we thought that the allegedly lone serial killer that they were looking for uh, was still running rampant. The reason for this is that uh, no information about any suspects directly tied to this case was, was um, filtered down to the public who at that time lived in a sort of state of hysteria, fearing uh, that at any minute their child could be the next child, swept off the streets, held in captivity, and eventually murdered. The case has been left cold, allegedly, for uh, 43 years now. I did a book about the case. I did a TV show. Others have done other things about the case. And it's still cold. What is the story here? Behind the scenes, a lot was happening. We're going to try to touch on that in every episode today. uh, Kathy Broad, the sister of uh, formerly Kathy King, the sister of Timothy King, who was the fourth victim to the Oakland County child killings, uh, is on the show. Um, Hi, Kathy. Let's talk about um, victim number three, Christine Mihalik. Um, Hi, Jason. Hi. Can you... you, um, Tell me what you know about the abduction of Christine from the very beginning.
1: Um, she went missing on January 2nd, 1977, about a week after the body of Jill Robinson had been found. And Chris um, had worked um, during the day helping her mom out with some household chores and then asked to be able to go to the Seven Eleven. 11 to buy a magazine that she wanted and she left the house about three o'clock. She left her home in Berkeley to go to this 7-Eleven to buy the magazine. The store was several blocks from her home and she never came home and she was reported missing that same day.
0: So she was reported missing. She goes to the 7-Eleven to buy some magazines and, and candy. Yeah.
1: Personally, I mean, I, what I know is that she was, she was after a, a magazine that she really wanted.
0: Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, and she's reported missing that day because she doesn't come home. Right. Uh, at this, at this point, at this point, we've already had, um, Mark Stebbins and Jill Robinson, uh, abducted, um, and found, found dead, um, uh, after uh with, with Mark I believe it was from the fifteenth to the nineteenth of February in seventy six and with Jill it was the uh December twenty second to twenty sixth of nineteen seventy six and with Christine um you know just a week or so later uh she disappears on January second. Um at this at this point are the local police um Saying to themselves or to the public that that there's that this is a this that these killings are serial that, that Jill is or that, that Christine is the third victim to a serial killer.
1: At this point, no, Jason and I've gone back and looked at a lot of newspaper clippings about this. You get really conflicting information, but what what officials and police departments were saying was that. They didn't see a connection between these crimes. Um, Mark was a boy. Jill was a girl. There was a pretty long time period between Mark's murder and Jill's murder. But you don't get the sense from reading the newspapers from the time that they were on high alert for a serial child killer
0: which is interesting because at the at that time other i mean first of all you're talking the detroit area um just like any city kids kids will end up getting taken at times and killed and you know they 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 don't they can't jump to any conclusions about any one uh, abduction or murder um, but it is interesting to note that this roughly the same period saw um other other victims of, of homicide unsolved homicides of 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 uh children, but they weren't as young. Is that is that right? I forget their names. Cynthia
1: Right. There was uh, Cynthia Cadu, mm-hmm. um, Sheila Schrock and Jane Louise Allen.
0: And were all those before Christine, do you remember?
1: Uh yes, they were.
0: But they were all in their Mid to late teens, if I remember right.
1: I'd say closer to mid-teens. Okay.
0: not not One of them wasn't 19? I can't remember I exactly.
1: Don't, I don't believe so. Okay.
0: I remember 16 and 15, I think, for a couple of them. Um, or 16, maybe. Was that the... Was, was Sheila Schrock, was she 16?
1: Um, She might have been Jason. She was babysitting a few streets over, actually, from where... We lived and her her homicide was ultimately solved and that was someone who was breaking into homes and so um, she had the misfortune of being home when this this man broke in and he raped and killed her right no the people were there were a lot of kids who were showing up dead in in Oakland County and, you know, but nobody was tying anything together. It was just sort of hanging out there.
0: Yeah. So I think what makes this different at the time is um, a a couple of, well, well, what we know in retrospect makes, say, Christine's abduction different is that she was held in captivity for 19 days. Um, And and that wasn't the case with these other girls who had, who had, been murdered or the other, you know, local Detroiters who had gone missing or whatever for a few days or something. And, um, this particular case was re- really interesting for starters, uh, both Mark and Jill victim number one and victim number two were 12 years old, which is very young, much younger than, uh, the other people who had, who had gone missing around that time. So that I, I identified something different about these first two, but then Christine is only 10 years old. And when you look at 10-year-olds on the street or something, I just saw a couple of 10-year-olds yesterday. They were, I think they were pretty much 10. they came up to me in the park and they said, do you know anyone with a Volkswagen Tiburon, I think is what they said, or a Volkswagen? Uh, I might be confusing the model with with another car, but a Volkswagen something. I said, no, why? And they said, well, we found some keys and we're trying to figure out what car it belongs to. And um, they were so little and so yeah. so naive to just ride their bikes up to some guy and say... Hey, do you know anyone with this kind of car? Um, yeah. Um, so ten is so young, and Christina is is that young, and she's held in captivity for nineteen days. But at the time when she's first when she first goes missing, um, you have to think that the police had some notion of this possibly being related to i mean joe robinson was just taken on the 22nd and we're only at at january of december 22nd and we're only at january 2nd now i mean it's 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 uh you know less than two weeks ago a 12 year old girl had been taken now a 10 year old girl's taken you got to believe that the police are, are starting to think this is these are serial abductions but i think i i I remember what you remember, which is, um, if you look back at, at lots of, um, newspaper reporting and such, you know, there's, I found like one or two articles that speculate, are these related? Well, you know, police aren't saying, but, but the general line is that most people are saying it's, they don't think it's necessarily related. And that's what the police are saying. And partially, partially probably to, um, uh, smooth out any any notions of hysteria, any hysteria that might be sort of bubbling in, in people at the time but she, she goes she goes missing and what do you remember after that
1: well because she was missing such a long time um, and I don't know if this was contemporaneous or just after the fact but the um, they are starting to put together uh, a task force to to address these crimes. And so the state police and a lot of people are on high alert. Um,
0: at what point, was, not immediately, but at what point? Is it like no. she's been gone for a week and then they start building the task force or, or what?
1: Um, I don't recall, Jason. I'd have to look at the articles again. But, you know, they start commenting in the press that they're – you know, pulling together various agencies okay. um, and then I remember a quote that you know they'd be ready to go as soon as you know if things went south and they found her body. Um, but she was um nineteen days is a really long time, and um I had found this you know when I was going through these newspaper articles, I found. This um, mention about the winter of 76 and 77, which was um, the longest winter, and Detroit had experienced a record 45 consecutive days of sub-freezing temperatures with an average January temperature of 12.8 degrees. So, I mean, it was this really long, horrible winter, and, you know, this Christine is missing, and... Like I said, nineteen days is a really long time. Yeah.
0: So, Mark Stebbins, I want to backtrack for just a second. Um, Your your winter notion, or your 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 statement about the winter, made me remember that Mark Stebbins was abducted on February fifteenth. It's the day after Valentine's Day. Jill Robbins was uh, uh, abducted on on December twenty second. Found murdered on. In the, in the wee hours of December 26th, but basically Christmas night. And um, so we have Valentine's, we have Christmas, and then Christine goes missing the day after New Year's Day. Uh, three holidays, a lot was made out of that at the time. Um, and also a lot was made out of it being cold and the longest winter, as you said. And this is why uh, at times this case is referred to as... Um, Yeah. (laughs) Which is why they call the TV show Children of the Snow, for instance. Um, A lot was made about the winter being um, the period when when these kids were abducted. And at at some point, somebody says related to the case, let's pray it doesn't snow again or something like that. Right. Right. Um, We'll talk about that in a second or in a few minutes. But um, Christine is missing. Um, As a as a kid at the time, your brother hadn't been abducted yet. So. Do you remember thinking about this case at all this with Christine when she was gone did it hit you in any way
1: I I know that my parents talked to Tim about about it after after she her body was discovered um but I just what I remember is just that you know sinking feeling like really scary kind of seeing these kids' pictures on the front of the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press and, you know, just kind of looking away. I mean, it was really painful and really horrible, but so outside of the realm of my experience, um, I mean, w- let's face it, we did grow up outside of Detroit, so there was always there were always reports of, Violence and murder and things like that, but this was really a mind blower. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to go back forty plus years, and but it did register with me. Um, did it impact the way I live my life or heighten my day to day fear? I don't think so. So,
0: Christine is. Um, found eventually. Um, can you give me the story of how she's found or who finds her and how that goes down?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at, at FOIA documents, by the way, um, from the state police, and there's a report. She was um, found on the 21st of January, about 1230 in the afternoon. And she was... Um, found on a in franklin village on a road called bruce lane and franklin
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you just for a second um franklin village uh for people who don't know the detroit area is um it's pretty nice it's it's a suburb of detroit um it's it's not what you think of when you think of the urban sprawl of detroit it's it's like a little quaint little little village in its name and and that makes sense um it's it, it was wooded and um kind of cozy, um, some upper crust, so to speak, people lived there. Um, uh, it was really kind of like Robert Frosty almost, um, uh, especially in the wintertime, um, uh, snow on the tree limbs and things like that. And I just want to identify that difference that it, that it wasn't, it doesn't, didn't feel like, doesn't feel like urban Detroit or anything like that. Um, whereas Mark Stebbins, where he lived or was found or where, where Jill Robinson was found, those are more closely identified with the sort of urban sprawl of the suburbs. But but I'm sorry, go ahead. You said she was found on her back, you were about to say?
1: Um, in a snowbank. But, you know, to your point about Franklin Village, Bruce Lane was this blacktop dead end street. Um, and, and it was flanked on either side. Uh, there were homes at the end of the dead end. But, Bruce Lane was flanked at the time by woods and fields on either side. So um, a postal worker was driving down the road. He, um, he described, this is so bizarre, but he described being bored. So there had been a fresh snow and there were tire tracks showing that a car had been um, driving on the road. And this postal worker was driving down the road trying to stay inside those um, impressions. And the tire tracks, he described that the tire tracks had been going southbound and then suddenly swerved to the east side of the road, okay, because the car was doing a three point turn to turn around. And at that point, he, the postal worker, um, notices what he thought was a body or a mannequin in the snow. Um, in the snow
0: off in the woods or at the, in the s- cul-de-sac no, about, that he was...
1: about seven feet um, to the side of the road. Okay. Um, so he, he doesn't get out. I mean, he doesn't go walk to the body or anything. He, he got out of his car to take a closer look but then he drove to the Franklin um, Police Department and reported what he had seen.
0: And f- for a minute he was looked at as a suspect. Um, for when I say a minute I don't know what that means but the, that day the initial couple of hours the next couple of days I mean the, clearly they're going to question the guy who finds the body who's um, right. in, in any instance um, but but he was a little bit Mm, slightly off so to speak like in his his narrative Um, I think we know now looking back that he was um, you know just maybe nervous he had just he had just found a body and it shakes people up but you know he uh, you, you you made mention that he was following trying to keep his tire tracks in the tracks before and he was just kind of bored and he was and then he sees this you know Thing did did he walk out to the body? By the way, no. Okay, no. He didn't walk out to the body. Um, but when they when they when they questioned him, um, I, I write about this in the Kill Jar that that he he had like a house full of trinkets and stuff, and he was just kind of like a um, one of those guys that seemed like quirky and introverted and had odd hobbies and such. So they for a minute they well, you know that could be me. Um, for a minute, Uh for a minute, they 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 looked at him as a suspect, but um, not not for long. So Christine's Christine's body is found. um, I think it's safe to say that that hysteria kicks in a a lot more after her body is found. Um, Is she has she been found to be sexually assaulted?
1: um well that is an interesting question i mean ultimately today i think police will tell you no but um i'm looking at a newspaper um article from the royal oak daily tribune um you know this was after my my brother had been found so this is march 17th and um oakland county prosecutor at the time, prosecuting attorney, uh, Al Brooks Patterson, is quoted as late as that date, saying that there are conflicting test results on whether or not Christine had been raped or molested.
0: I'm sorry, it broke up a little bit, but conflicting test results as to whether or not Christine had been raped or molested, is that what you said? Right. Okay. And can, can you, is there more that you can say about that, the conflicting results? How did that how did that go down?
1: Well, initially, um, medical examiner Robert Sillery announced that that um, she had been assaulted and that there was um, evidence of semen and then he backtracked and said, "No, you know you know that's not the case and that if you look at the state police um Crime lab again. We're back to Charlotte Day from the state police um, crime lab. None of the um, slides or swabs show the presence of semen. So, um, so you know.
0: let me hold on. Let me re, let me restate this just to be clear. Sillery says there's semen, or that she's been raped.
1: I believe. I believe he used, he didn't use the word rape. I think, I think he said that she had been molested and that semen was present.
0: Semen was present by the time it, and this is Sillery who we've talked about Sillery, but he, he ends up being somebody who, um, is found to be, uh, highly malleable, um, in his, in his, um, uh, results. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I, I I think a better word would be incompetent.
0: Yeah, and 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 um, but also he was he was on the take, wasn't he? Isn't that what we've discussed?
1: I think that can be established. Yeah.
0: So here we have a guy whose his initial report is that um, there's semen found uh, uh, on Christine's body or in Christine's body or in the clothing or whatever in the, in the, you know, she's been, he states she's been molested and there's, there's semen. And, um, and this is stated by a guy who, you know, has no reason at the time to, to lie or whatever. And, um, but we know him to be somebody who, uh, or we believe him to be somebody who can change, change the results of, of an, an investigation based on his personal, uh, needs or based on the needs of others who have, Uh, you know, giving him reason to, to change things possibly. And then by the, and then later the Charlotte day, uh, medical examiners or, or evidence, excuse me, evidence, what is her title again?
1: (laughs) Charlotte day is, um, crime laboratory scientist.
0: Okay. She's in charge of all the evidence. Correct. Yeah. And, um, after it gets out of the medical examiner's hands, um, right and she says no semen
1: she says no semen stains were in, were identified on her body or clothing yeah or um yeah
0: and 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 i'm sorry but to to we're going to get back to Christina in a second but but if we go back to the mark stebbins uh first abduction uh charlotte day also says in some of her reporting no no blood you know no blood no whatever and then and then we see another report in, from the same offices that that indicates that that the actual the clothing has Mark Stebbins' clothing has blood, and Mark Stebbins' clothing has saliva, and Mark clothing Mark Stebbins has all this evidence. So there, Charlotte Day, I think, actually, if I'm remembering correctly, has two different sets of documents that I'm looking at at at, at a time that say that say uh, no blood, no semen, no saliva, no. And I talk about this with Mark all the time. And then another set of documents that says. Clearly, that there's blood, semen, saliva, everything. So, so now we're back to Christine. There's conflicting reporting uh, between Sillery and and the state police. Um, uh, you know, somewhere in the chain of command, things change. And so, how does this end? How does this situation end? The reporting of whether or not Christine had been molested or there was semen.
1: Well, to this day. Um, I think investigators believe that um, Jill and Christine were not sexually molested. Uh, If you talk to to investigators who are very familiar with what they have to this day, they will still try to maintain that there's a chance that that the girl victims were were, um, taken and murdered By somebody different I mean they you know they really they still maintain that neither of these girls were uh, were raped or molested
0: yeah so these are investigators who have spent decades on this case and what they're not doing what what they're doing is they're looking back to what they knew at the time or what they felt at the time or what the if they're new to the case what the old cops told them but what if we just break it down very simply and we're going to talk about the what's found on Christine later um, what, uh, uh, b- but if we just break it down really simply, um, well, let, actually let's talk about it right now. Mark, Mark Stebbins, um, we talked about, um, uh, arts in episode one, uh, uh, arts or episode two, art, some of Art Sloan may have made it into our episode two, but, but Art Sloan is, uh, is, a. Um, uh. Convicted pedophile rapist uh, who who uh, at the time of Mark Stebbins's abduct, abduction ha, had at the very day had called the police department, said, "Don't come by my place. I'm going to be here late working at, at, at the sh- at the shop he worked at, and um, or the tow yard or whatever it was. and 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 d- you don't need to come by the shop. Uh, I'm going to be here. The lights will be on, but that's just me. There's no problem. You don't need to swing by or see if everything's okay. That day, Mark Stebbins goes missing. Later, uh. Uh, Art Sloan is questioned. Um, evidence is pulled from, from his possession, uh, in particular a vehicle. Um, years later, DNA from that vehicle in the possession of Art Sloan is matched to DNA found on Mark Stebbins. It's not Art Sloan's DNA, but somebody's DNA, uh, somebody who was in contact with Art Sloan, a convicted pedophile, um, is, has, has left DNA. On Mark Stebbins. And so it's 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 pretty safe to say that the 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 buddy of the buddy of a convicted pedophile who leaves DNA on Mark on, on a dead boy who was raped is probably also a pedophile. So so we have Art Sloan. We have somebody he knows who's a pedophile. And then later, Christine is abducted. And they say no, she wasn't raped. She wasn't. These are, maybe these aren't related killings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cops still to this day say no, not related. But DNA is also found on Christine. So, and that DNA uh, matches to somebody who was uh, constantly in the companionship of Christopher Bush, who we talked about already multiple times. Uh, who was the son of a wealthy GM executive who was also convicted of multiple counts of criminal sexual conduct with children and his, his um somebody who he molested, who also became his kind of companion because he was a teenager. There was, there's a long process of grooming that goes into this. We can talk about that, but, but the DNA of this boy is found uh to be a match to uh DNA found on Christine. So let's, can we, can we, it's a lot to sort of that I threw in there but I, I'm going to say one more thing about that and then we'll break this down a little bit but to this day we know uh, or at, at this point we know that multiple people were involved in the abductions of these children there's no way around it or involved in their um, either in the pre- procurement or the molestation or the murder w- there are various steps along the way from the time they're abducted to the time they're found uh, dead but there's multiple sources of DNA, and and to say that that and and they all come from different pedophiles and such, and <laughs> or or victims of of pedophilia. And um, to say that uh, these aren't related is just it's insanity. But I but we'll but but we'll break this down more. And so I should stop rambling and let you let you talk about the um, Christine. What's found on Christine? How do, can you talk about the evidence and, and what how How that leads to what I've been talking about?
1: Yes, uh, a hair was found on the stomach region of her jacket, and um, and this hair did not belong to Christine. So um, and I'm getting much of this information from um, speaking with Detective Jack Calflesh who um, he had been present at, at um, the location where Christine, Christine's body was found and worked diligently on the task force and kind of never let the case go. But from my understanding, tests were conducted on Christine's clothing, um, the, the clothing, not her jacket, which indicated she had not worn the clothes while being held and that there was no indication that the clothes had been washed. So that hair found on Christine's stomach, Jack theorized, and I think it's a legitimate theory, that whoever dumped her body had Chris's body over his shoulder. That's where the hair transfer comes. And then he places her body in the snow. And, you know, later... So DNA at So let me
0: just back up. Just let me just back up. Just to clarify, you were talking about after her abduction, she was dumped. When she was dumped in the snow, somebody carried her out over his shoulder, out into the snow, and dropped her down, just like the carrying of Jill Robinson. Um, you got to right. walk her away from the car, dump her somewhere, and in the in the process, that there was transfer from that person's hair to the to the coat to the stomach area of the coat. Um, And we do know also that at the at the or we believe at the Christine um, dump site, there was only one set of footprints, um, which was similar to what we what we have at the Jill Robinson.
1: um, Well, there was one set of footprints with Jill, Jason, but um, the the crime scene processing doesn't go that well at Christine's. You would think it would have. They, They contacted other agencies, but. They there had been a fresh snowfall. They didn't take an imprint of the what I believe to be the one set of footprints. There's fresh snow falling into it. They don't blow that away and take the impression. And then a bunch of investigators walk all over Helen back in there, and there's you know just a ton of of um, footprints in the snow at that point. But this hair. Okay, so later, Jack's theory is proven to be true um, because they run, they rerun that hair. And because of the hair uh, and and it's a fragment of of a piece of hair, there's a mitochondrial DNA match to that of Vince Gunnels. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to use his name. I know he was a minor at the time. And I'd like the chance to explain, you know, how I understand how he got involved. But they're already questioning Vince Gunnels because of his, he was a victim of Bush and Green, but he was also forced to be a lure for them to get other kids. So they get this mitochondrial DNA match to Vince Gunnels.
0: Um, Vince, so Vince Gunnels, and there. we'll stop for just a second, Vince Gunnels was 15, I believe, at the time of the murders, and he had been molested a few years, it, 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 just sort of approximates, but for a couple of years by Christopher Busher for a year or something like that, um, and um, Gunnels, was, although he was a teenager, uh, he did not, you know, he was not uh, actively encouraging uh sex with with these with these grown men and in fact was uh molested and then sort of through you know the way things happened, just stayed kind of around them they were taking advantage of this kid basically and this hair that was found on christine was a match to that boy who that boy we can we can very certainly say was no mastermind enough to be abducting and killing children um, at 15?
1: No, absolutely not. And, and, you know, all we can do is speculate about this. But um, he, they probably forced him to dump Chris's body because then he's complicit and he can't say anything to anybody um, about this.
0: Right. And, uh, and you say that, so you were about to say there was a mitochondrial match to 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 him, and, and I cut you off to say all that. Was there anything else you wanted to add other than where we're going with this already that you think maybe he dumped that body? Or was there something? Well,
1: more? after, you know, the police do go back and, and, you know, question him about this after the mitochondrial match, which, you know, now... Uh, you know, even in the investigators now want to say, well, you know, it's a mitochondrial match. It's, you know, it, it's not a nuclear or autosomal match. And so it's not that great. But, yeah, it is It is pretty probative. Um, so when they go back and talk to him about that, he's pretty nonplussed. And he just says, look, I was in Chris Bush's vehicle Many many times when, he,
0: when they talked to him when they talk to him about that in 2009 or something like that.
1: That's yeah, it was after 2007. Okay, um, and so they two, talked to him numerous times.
0: But in 2007 is when they make the match.
1: No, 2007 is when we get Chris Bush's name, and then you know the only investigator who was really doing any work at that point, you know, comes up with with gunnels as being somebody who hung out with bush and green
0: okay so let's just i it's my fault but just for a second let's clarify a few things um when you said 2007 is when we get christopher bush's name the police already had christopher bush's name they they had been looking at christopher bush from the very beginning uh prior to his alleged suicide in 78 um but but um, w- when you say we get Christopher Bush's name, you mean we? Uh, you mean the fan me- pe- people working on the case? Christopher Bush's name had been out there for decades, only concealed by the police because they didn't want anybody to be talking about Christopher Bush, because Christopher Bush well, was the an, son of an... of the General Motors executive, uh, and for all kinds of reasons, they didn't want people talking about Christopher Bush, because Christopher Bush failed a polygraph or passed a polygraph. Allegedly that he should have failed because Christopher Bush was let out of custody and then and then your brother was killed because Christopher Bush was I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why the police didn't want anybody to be talking about Christopher Bush. So um, so I, I understand that we just got his name. We meaning you and others who are working on the case. But but just for clarity for the audience. So they're not confused. Everybody on the inside of the case very tightly around the case knew about Christopher Bush, the cops. Did I
1: mean? That's an excellent point, Jason. I mean, when I say we learned the name Chris Bush, we learned that that's who Larry Wasser had been talking to Patrick Coffey about These are the- using a name.
0: And these are the guys from the F. David for the search warrant that's mentioned that, that Patrick, right. Patrick Coffey is a polygrapher to recap what that was all about. And, and I'm going to spend all of episode five actually recapping this search warrant. So if you're listening and you're confused by the search warrant stuff that comes at the beginning, that's fine. You're supposed to be. We'll get back to it. It's, <laughs> it'll be fine. But, but Patrick Coffey is a polygrapher who um, just out of sheer co- coincidence happened to know um, uh, your family when he was younger, when he was not a polygrapher, he grows up, he becomes a polygrapher and he runs into another polygrapher that says, you know, and they're chatting at a conference and patch and, and the other polygrapher says, you know, I, I polygraphed the Oakland County child killer and coffee says, well, that, you know, basically, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, yeah guy, guy admitted to killing, killing, uh, killing Mark, Mark Stevens, I think it was. And, and, or, or killing one of the kids or killing, we'll get to, to that. My in, brother. Oh, your brother. Okay. Um, Oh, right, right. Because Patrick Coffey was saying, hey, I grew up with Timothy King and 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 the other polygrapher says, oh, I polygraphed the guy who did that. And um, so that's part of that becomes part of the affidavit for the search warrant, which leads to a search for Christopher Bush's old premises. But but let's let's backtrack a little bit. A hair is found on 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 uh, Christine. It's cataloged as evidence. Uh, years later, they go back and they DNA test it. And that that DNA matches the DNA of Vince Gunnels. Um, Vince Gunnels is spoken to about this case. He's questioned a number of times. He's, he's questioned from the very beginning because he was, you know, it's good police work to question the victims of these people and such. Um, so he was talked to from the very beginning about this case, of course. But um, back in 2009 or something like that... Um, He's questioned about the case, I think he was well we do know that he's been in and out of um, prison for drug drug related offenses, never for criminal sexual conduct or anything like that drug related offenses um, or the things that come with drugs, right. which is you know poverty and health mental health issues and all those things. you know he has not lived a an uh easy life, and no. Uh, at the time he was questioned i believe he the first first questioned in in 09 or something like that he was incarcerated um uh, or he may have just gotten out he may have been is this when he was in a halfway house at some point or was he questioned well first while he was incarcerated in in 09 do you remember
1: he's he was first questioned when he was incarcerated
0: okay and they tell him hey we got a dna match to you man um your shit was on her body what's what's the situation here He says he doesn't want to talk about it unless he's talking to his sister. His sister is a lawyer who lives in um, Montana at the time. And um, he has to talk about it with his sister. In recorded conversations between Vince Gunnels while incarcerated and his sister, who is an attorney, um, Vince Gunnels says when she says they found your DNA, he says, I I wasn't there when it happened. Is that a direct is that a direct quote? I wasn't there
1: when it happened.
0: He says to his sister, she says, they found your DNA. What's going on? He says, I wasn't there when it happened. He doesn't say, I don't fucking know. Right. So, one of two things. Either he knows when it happened, and he knows he wasn't there when it happened, so he can say that, or, or, and this is where things get gray all the time in these kinds of cases, or he just knows Christopher Bush and Gregory green were slime balls and probably fucking killed these kids. And his way of saying, it's not me is I wasn't there when it happened. I don't know. So we, you know, he can always make that statement that, that, that it's the second version, but right. But he doesn't come clear out and just say 25 times to her sis. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. Right. And right. Um, and that's scary. Um, It's probably scary for him. It's probably scary for her. It's probably scary for a whole bunch of people um, in their families and in their lives. And, you know, I mean, look, this kid was a victim. Um, Vince Mm -hmm. Gunnels was a victim to Christopher Bush. That doesn't mean he doesn't know anything. And it doesn't mean you should leave him alone just because he was 15 at the time. Because he's not 15 anymore, man. And if he knows something, right, you got to push. And so what happens? They... The police push. They, they give him a polygraph exam. He fails it, or he throws it. It's inconclusive, correct?
1: I think he throws the first one, and then they ask him, why did you do that? And, and he says, well, his cellmate told him, this is what you do. And um, then uh, he does not pass the second polygraph. That's my understanding.
0: So we got a guy who's... Uh, DNA is found on the body of Christine Mihalik. He is somewhat murky in his denial of of knowing anything about what happened to her. He throws the first polygraph that he's given when he's an adult um, because his cellmate told him how to throw one. And uh, he fails the second one. Right. So he's evidence. Okay. Let's pretend for a second that, that you are, I don't know, a 30, a 45 year old black man who, who lived in Detroit, uh, during the killings and, um, associated with pedophiles and now you are, have drug, drug problems and you're in and out of prison and you live in relative obscurity and poverty and they find your DNA on the body of a dead girl from, from 40 years earlier. Well, you couldn't be 45. Let's say, let's say he's 60. Um, and they find, they find your DNA on the body of a girl from, well, actually in 2009, it was only 30 something years later, but let's say they find your DNA on the body of, of, of a case that went cold. Right. And, and you're a a black man, you're poor, you have drug problems and you associate with, with you associated with pedophiles at the time. They find your DNA and you fail a polygraph and you're already incarcerated. What are the odds that a black guy in America is going to skate from being pinned for that murder? Uh, They have your DNA. You failed a polygraph and you hung out with the prime suspects and you're already in jail. So there's nowhere for you to go if they want to, if they want to push and push and push and question and question, interrogate you over and over and over again, there's nowhere for you to go. You, th- This is going to, this is going to be a thing that, that gets you thrown in prison for the rest of your life. Am I wrong?
1: Well, with your hypothetical, Jason, as long as, um, that person didn't have evidence that would have led to somebody that they want to protect. And, and also in your hypothetical, um, that person would be lucky he was incarcerated because if he was on the street, he would be shot in the back. Right. So Vince gets the kid, you know, they just can't put the squeeze on him. And, you know, I've read, I've read the transcripts of the interviews of him. And, you know, they, you know, one of the detectives went pretty hard on him but he's not going to he's not going to say anything and they can't put the squeeze on him and and I think there is at some subconscious level a hesitancy to squeeze him too hard because then Pandora's box is totally open and we not only know about Bush and Green but about anybody else who would have been involved in that pedophile and child pornography activity back in the day and so I mean you know he's he's never gonna sing anything jason he's never gonna squeal you know he he has found a way to live with that
0: <laughs> michael Baden the uh he's he michael Baden is the guy who's done uh thousands of autopsies um He was called in for the to consult with the, or he did the autopsy uh, uh, for the O.J. Simpson killings on Nicole Brown and um, the guy. He did. He, uh, I think Michael Baden actually all the way goes all the way back to Kennedy. To be honest, I think that that's how far this guy's experience goes. And he was recently called in to by the family of Jeffrey Epstein to consult on the um medical examiner examination and the and the reporting and to, to look at look at what was you know as a, as an independent medical examiner basically and um i don't know if you saw this but the recent report that Jeffrey Epstein's uh, alleged suicide in in prison while awaiting trial um or whatever he was awaiting i don't even know if they had charged him yet um but uh um well, they had charged him, but I don't know what the process was. Right. But Je- Jeffrey Ep- Jeffrey Epstein uh, allegedly commits suicide. Um, who, Jeffrey Epstein, who happens to have a, a black book that's you know got a th- the names of a thousand of uh, the, the more powerful people in 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 the world in it. Uh, allegedly commits suicide, uh, while it, uh, on suicide while on suicide watch, while allegedly one of the cameras that, you know, wasn't functional at the time to, to, to see what was going on in that hallway, while allegedly one of the guards who was overworked had fallen asleep, while allegedly, you know, all this crazy set of circumstances that lead to Jeffrey Epstein allegedly being allowed to commit suicide. Uh, Michael Baden looks at that report. This is just from this past week and says, yeah, these, these, what happened to him with his neck and all that? That's that's uh, more consistent with homicide than suicide. If I had to rule on this, or if I had to make a, a final determination on this, I would have listed this as as homicide. This is this is one of our most well known um, medical examiners. Uh, who has got multiple books out in the world, or auto person who conducts autopsies. whatever. Um, uh, um, uh, who? He's got. I, I don't know if it's three, four, five books, whatever he's got. I mean, this is a, this is our foremost expert in 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 uh figuring out whether or not somebody committed suicide or murder or or homicide or it was a homicide and he says it was a homicide um so and also jeffrey epstein's um i don't know if you read about this but this past week i read a story about there's a big fire on jeffrey epstein's island uh uh where his his uh residence was his his secret sex island and there's uh you can read about the the, 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 um, some of the Oakland County child killer case and some of the Ep- Jeffrey Epstein case sort of have, have, um, parallel threads. And, and there's an article on Business Insider that came out a few months ago. You can read about that. Somebody drew some parallels between this case and, and, um, the Epstein case. But, but Epstein is now dead. Uh, I don't know. I can't find anything recently that says what burned up in this island. Um, uh, but clearly, there's a lot of reason to burn down Epstein's uh, sex quarters um, uh, if Absolutely. if you're protecting protecting uh, the the identities of these thousands or hundreds or whatever it is of people he associated with. So if you press on Vince Gunnel's, you said you open up Pandora's box. Absolutely, you can. If you crack open Vince Gunnel's from, from you know if you were to walk through this, bust open his rib cage and walk through, you're you're basically walking into uh, Christopher Bush's world, and 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 all those other pedophiles, and all of the 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 other people who they associated with. Gregory Green was not a rich uh, son of a rich whatever. Um, uh, or uh, Ted Lamborghini wasn't the son of a rich or the rich whatever. Or all these people uh, that were that were or Arch Sloan, You know, the, by no means living a wealthy existence. Um, uh, in fact, had well anyway if but they traded in they were in commerce with all these people uh because as as we said the 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 you know if you were somebody who needed child pornography in your life you didn't get it on the internet there was no internet you reached out to people who had it and 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 the the web is very tightly knit um but it's but it's there and it's and it's um and, and you if you if you push on Vince Gunnel's, then you are led back to, to Christopher Bush and his wealthy family and their tentacles and of power in the Detroit area. So where does it? Right.
1: S- so and you know monsters like Chris Bush and Greg Green. I mean, when they first groom and then victimize and rape. Um, these kids, they you know, they take pictures of them. They say, you know, I'm just gonna give these to your family and friends. If you tell anybody, um, I think it's um, a logical conclusion that the mitochondrial DNA match is because Bush and Green forced um, forced him to help dump Chris's body, thereby making her making him complicit, and and. The other, the other thing these guys use and is, you know, we're going to cut down your whole bloodline if you tell anybody. I'm going to kill your family, everyone you associate, and anyone who means anything to you. And, you know, I don't care if you're 15 or 22, that would resonate. And so Gunnels was a kid. He was a minor. But if you look at, like, um, Ted Lamborghini, He's not saying a word. He took a full, he pled guilty to all of that criminal sexual conduct in Detroit and just was sentenced to prison rather than talk about this case. Art Sloan is never going to say a word. These people were grown men at the time. And Gunnels was a kid.
0: When you say that, when you say that uh, Ted Lambergine, who we have not talked about much, if at all, I will talk about him extensively in the podcast, uh, eventually, um, Ted a title, was, a known, a known pedophile pornography pusher, um, who, uh, pled guilty to a bunch of, uh, criminal sexual conduct charges. Um, and at some point while he was incarcerated, was offered a deal to, uh, because he was, he was looked at as a very, very prime suspect as well. Um, Certain things tied him to the case, um, uh, like in a narrative sense, it ma- it made a lot of sense that he would be involved and there were other things, but, but, um, he was offered a deal to, to talk about what he knew. He, in fact, my memory is that he failed a polygraph and then was offered a deal to talk about what he knew. And he said something very similar to, and, and he was going to be given a, he was going to be given that deal. He was going to get out of prison a little earlier. Um, uh,
1: a little earlier, and they were going to move him to a different prison and give him a new identity, so he wouldn't be a known child molester in prison. It, um, and he he said no.
0: He said no, and he failed that polygraph. But he didn't just say no; he said something a little, <laughs> just like, just like Vince Gunnels. God Gingles.
1: has forgiven me.
0: Yeah. God has forgiven me God has forgiven me I've been I've been forgiven um, uh, he doesn't say I didn't do anything he doesn't say uh, I can't I can't take your deal because I don't know anything he says I've been right. forgiven and he doesn't and he doesn't he doesn't speak
1: yeah and I, I know it's getting convoluted here but the, the parallel is you know all of these people who were grown men they're still not talking. And Lamborghini, during the time, and this is this is um, like this is maybe late 2007. I was going through some notes, and um, a, a corrections officer overheard Lamborghini tell someone during the time he was awaiting um, sentencing that he had sex with the children, but he didn't kill them. Now, you know whether. Whether that's, you know, something accurate, I don't know. But a corrections officer did overhear Lamborghini saying that. So, but that also points to how all these guys were all tied up in in this really sick world. And and Gunnels was, you know, one of the younger, because he was used as a lure, and, and it was under duress. I'm sure it was under duress, but... He's a part of
0: that circle, too. Well, and just just so listeners know, because we haven't spent time talking about it yet, we bring up Ted Lamborghini, because also Lamborghini was, was not just—he didn't just make narrative sense. He was—somebody um, mentioned in the—he was mentioned uh, by another victim of Christopher Bush, um, who I've called simply B at times, um, although— you know, there's no real reason to to hide his name because it's public record. But we'll, we, when it's time, we'll get to him and we'll and I'll and I'll talk more about him um, in other episodes. But he was a victim of Christopher Bush and Gregory Green, and he was um, uh, raped in a car um, by by these two guys on multiple occasions, or often other areas. But he was driving in 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 a car uh, with these two guys. And, um, he mentions being, first of all, he mentions seeing a photograph of, of Timothy King, um, uh, victim number four, your brother to, uh, he mentions seeing a photograph that he believed was Timothy King, I should say, um, in, while in captivity with those guys, um, a Polaroid. And he mentions also that he was, uh, he was uh, brought to to Ted Lamborghini um, because these guys wanted. He believed that they wanted to sell him to Lamborghini, and um, he he specifically talks about about Lamborghini in in documents and and uh, B is mentioned in the affidavit for the search warrant for a search warrant. Um, this is part of the, the what leads. What leads um, police to uh, think that it's it's smart to go back to Christopher Bush's residence um, back in the day and um, from back in the day and see if they can find anything in the duct ductwork, in the floorboards, in the crevices between the moldings. It's a long shot, but um, some cops were actively looking into eventually whether or not Christopher Bush was actually involved um which is interesting because it makes you think that the police are not concealing Christopher Bush's name if some of them are allowed to to continue to work angles to see if if Christopher Bush is is, um, the perpetrator or one of the perpetrators of these crimes
1: Uh, well let's not forget Jason I mean um the Bush, that that lead, they were, Bush and Green were cleared, and that was the end of that. And who finds out about Bush? It's not the state police. It's Detective Corey Williams, who's then with um, Livonia. And he and one of the prosecutors from Wayne County develop that lead and then go to the state police, who really have no choice at that point but to get serious and open their files. And this is how they go through this charade with Wasser who reveals um, the name of Chris Bush. But you and I are talking today in large part because of Ted Lamborghini, because in '05, Richard Lawson, um, another pedophile from the Detroit area was arrested out in California for the murder of a Detroit area um, cab company owner, and being the complete scumbag that he was, of course he was trying to get a deal. He was being interrogated by Detective Corey Williams from Livonia, and Lawson says, "I know who did the snow killings," which that's not what they were called, but Williams, you know, knows what that means. And then Lawson tosses Ted Lamborghini's name. So they proceed to start um, a case against Lamborghini and Lawson for the the rapes of many boys in the Detroit area during that time, and we can talk about that at length. But um, that's why the cops were looking at Lamborghini. The state police have by now reactivated their their task force, their alleged task force. And they don't want, this is my opinion, they don't want Corey Williams to get anywhere with this Lamborghini thing. So they say, well yeah, let's all work together. But really what they're doing is making sure that Williams isn't going to find out something um and make this fake task force have to actually explain anything. So Lamborghini they start looking at Lamborghini and that's when he's polygraphed about the child killer case during the pendency of this criminal sexual conduct trial. He fails to polygraph. And so, so literally when I say he's the reason you and I are talking today, he is. Well, he's revealed nothing.
0: Yeah. And I could actually, I could, we could actually go one step further and say all of, all of what you said is correct, but Possibly the reason we're actually talking today is because Christine Mihalik, who we've been talking about, her sister and her stepfather are, they go to a psychic, right? Yeah,
1: they go to a psychic, but I want to preface this, Jason, saying when this happens and it is profound information but in the background, I have already been talking to Jack Kalflush, and he's raising a lot of questions about why things like that hair on Christine, as late as 2006, has not really been adequately tested. There's already things happening, um, and, and the Bush and Green thing, that's already come to light. And then I believe, and that's like in November... And then in January or so, the, the incident happens with um, Christine's sister and her stepfather. So many things happened. It's not just Lamborghini, but many things happened so there's that a, are almost freaky to get us to the point where we are today.
0: There's a perfect storm of information kind of leaking out and swirling, right. and swirling around. And Christine, uh, her sister... Uh, decades later, and her and her stepfather go to a psychic, John Edward, uh, um, Edward or Edwards, who who is Edward. who is famous for uh, communicating with the dead. And they go to him in a group setting, and he comes. He 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 pinpoints them. He sort of uh, sections them off from the rest of the people, and he says, "I'm getting hits off of you. One of you, some." Uh, I think you lost a contemporary. He says to Erica, is her name, and mm-hmm. the sister, and 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 then he he says, "I'm seeing a suitcase uh, with I think he said he with ropes and in and, and photographs and and this was a something happened very violently and pretty soon you're going to." open Pandora's box. There's a lot of information coming down the pipeline. I mean, this is more or less a summary of what happens and what we know is that Christopher Bush what we I'm sorry. What we don't know yet is that is, is about Christopher. But what happens is Christine goes goes with her mother to the investigative offices to see who's working this case. Suddenly it something clicks. They haven't looked into this case basically ever. Um And they go because it's too painful and they go and they discover on the desk of the investigator who's actively working the case um, uh, binders with Christopher Bush, Gregory Green and Vince Gunnels. And in those binders of information, it's discovered that Christopher Bush was first arrested um, with a suitcase, excuse me, with a suitcase with ligatures in it and Polaroid pictures of kids and film of kids in this suitcase. And that suitcase was taken into, into custody and as evidence to crimes he was being charged with at the time, criminal sexual conduct, not crimes related to the Oakland County child killings. But once he becomes a suspect in the Oakland County child killings, that, that, those ligatures and those photographs and all of that shit that's found in his suitcase. Uh, evaporates. It goes missing. There's no chain of custody. Like it's law. It's officially lost that the, 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 we find, we find out so much information from, yes, yes, there's a storm brewing and Christopher Bush's name is kind of leaking out and people are starting to in the hits on the DNA and all this stuff is happening. But, what what really could have told a full story is the stuff that was taken from Christopher Bush at the time of his initial arrest for criminal sexual conduct charges and, you know, before he kills himself, allegedly. And what was in his possession was was photographs of, of children and, uh, and, and child pornography. And what we know about child pornography is that those photographs are not just uh, somebody's Um, entertainment those are crime scenes each photo is a crime scene and nobody ever had a chance to look at that stuff because it somehow just disappeared
1: it did disappear jason and if i could just back up because i think it's really important um for the record to be as straight as it can be um on this stuff but when Erica and her dad, Tom, go to the John Edward um, presentation, um, Edward first lights on um, Erica's cousin, I believe, who, that's the reason they were there. She had lost someone. And then he he's picking up something else, and he, you know, they know it's Christine, and he talks about not just what you mentioned, but... Just photographs, burns, and bite marks. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?